Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. Plenty to cover. I know it is a busy week ahead, so looking forward to hearing your insights. Yeah, good morning, Dan. Happy Monday. Yeah, it's uh, a lot coming up this week. So, Jason, the week ahead, we do have a key monetary policy meeting, which will kick off tomorrow, a key Q2 GDP print, which investors will receive towards the end of the week, as well as a continuation of corporate earnings as we're making our way through Q2 reporting. So, a lot to cover. I know we want to hit on all of these items. So, perhaps we can begin with the Fed meeting and monetary policy expectations. So, what is your expectation for this week's meeting, Jason, as well as meetings in the months ahead. Let's start with what's likely to come out of this meeting, uh, which is probably a 75 basis point rate hike. The markets are pricing a 90% chance of that happening. There was some thought earlier in the month that they could go as much as 100 basis points. Uh, but I think that's sort of not been taken off the table, but the chances that are, are quite low right now, largely because inflation expectations that the Fed closely watches have been actually ticking down uh, since the last OFOMC meeting uh, in a way that you know, I think you certainly would have to you know, make them happy. I think it also sort of reduces the need to, to go 100 basis points at this point in time. So 75 is very likely. Uh, this is not one of those meetings where the Fed updates its dot plot or changes or revises its uh, summary of economic projections in terms of growth, inflation, what the Fed funds rate will be. So that typically is critical information. We're not getting it this month. We'll get that in September. So other than the 75 basis point hike, not a lot of change is likely in the statement. So most of the focus will be on the, the press conference that Fed Chair Jay Powell will give. He's very much likely to continue to drive home the message that inflation is unacceptably high and that the Fed is solely focused on getting into control. That's kind of his, the mantra that they've had that the past couple of meetings. That's unlikely to change. Uh, I'm sure he'll be asked about the likelihood of a 75 or 100 basis point hike in September or ongoing, because this would be two times in a row. He'll probably demur on, on being sort of do definitive. Uh, we have a fair amount of data that's going to come up between now and the next LFOMC meeting roughly in mid-September. In particular, we get two more inflation prints. We will get two more you know, months of job market data and other data that would indicate you know, if the economy is slowing and how much. So there's definitely scope for the Fed to be able to adjust its, uh, its path going forward. You know, the view, I think, of the market right now is that after this 75, they probably dial back a little bit to 50 in September uh, and then sort of go from there, maybe 25 basis point hikes. Uh, 75 is a possibility. And Powell probably won't rule it out because they want to keep all options on the table. They should want to keep all options on the table at this point in time. But I think, the, you know, the guidance would be probably a little bit of, you know, we will continue to hike 75 basis points at every single meeting, which is, you know, indicating maybe 15 going forward. Uh, I think beyond that, there's a bit of a difference between maybe what the Fed is, has indicated and what the market is thinking. At the June FOMC meeting, the, in the updated dot plot, the Fed indicated that they want to get the Fed funds rate up to around 3.4%, which would mean basically uh, 100 basis points of hikes beyond the September or beyond this meeting this week. So that could be 50, 25, and 25 for the rest of this year. At the time, the market was sort of in agreement with that. Uh, and the Fed also is expecting to go to 3.8% you know, at some point in, in 2023. There's a bigger gap now that's opened up between the market and the Fed in that regards. So the market's still pricing around 3.3% by year end for a Fed funds rate. But for next year, now it's actually talking about the Fed pausing by December and then cutting a total of 70 basis points throughout next year, starting as soon as, as March of 2023. 
So relative to what the Fed was thinking, the market is about a full percentage point below by the end of next year. So they may give some kind of guidance on terms of that. But I think the key point that Powell is going to reiterate is we keep having to hike rates because inflation is you know, unacceptably high. Uh, and until we see conclusive evidence that you know inflation, particularly core inflation, is coming down, they're unlikely to pause. They will get a bit of a reprieve because you know commodity prices have come down quite a bit. Gas prices have come down over the past month. That will lower headline CPI. But the Fed sort of focuses less on that typically because they can't control it. Um, and as long as core inflation is still high, even if headline numbers are coming down, they have to remain somewhat vigilant. I think that's a point he'll also make. Overall, CPI is too high, but they can't really turn off the, um, you know, the tightening until they see core inflation also coming down you know, notably. So, Jason, following the Fed's decision, which we will receive on Wednesday afternoon, uh, the following morning, Thursday, investors will receive that Q2 GDP print, which will be indicative as to the health of the U.S. economy and whether or not it's showing signs of slowing. So what is your expectation for this upcoming print, Jason? And what is the likelihood of a recession taking place here in the U.S. over the next 6 to 12 months? Well, let's start with the Q2 GDP numbers. The Bloomberg consensus among economists is that it's going to be 0.4% on a quarterly basis, a quarter over quarter, which annualizes to about 1.5%. Uh, that's kind of so it's a positive growth number. Uh, something that investors have started to follow widely is the Atlanta Fed GDP now tracking forecast, which is actually at minus 1.6%. So a pretty big gap there. Uh, if we get a negative number, even not that large, but anything negative, that will mean both Q1 and Q2 have negative GDP prints. Now, the second one, the Q2 could be revised later to positive territory, but let's just say it comes negative. What that means is that, you know, you'll get headlines saying the U.S. is in recession. It's a technical recession, which is sort of two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. This is sort of an arbitrary assessment in terms of defining recession, but it will get a lot of headline noise. This is not how the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, defines recessions. They do it with a lag. They look back in history and say, well, you know, when did a recession start? And they rely on six different data points, which primarily focus on you know, key economic activity measures, such as the labor market, consumer spending, industrial production. None of those right now at least would indicate in the first half of this year that the economy has gone into recession. And a really sort of simple kind of rule you can follow is to say, at least for the past three recessions, you know, the recession really didn't begin until you saw the unemployment rate, you know, tick higher uh, and, you know, monthly, you know, uh, payrolls growth started to turn negative, you know, kind of quite clearly. In June, the unemployment rate stayed flat at 3.6 percent and job growth was 367,000. So we're, that's a far away away from recession territory. Um, you know, job growth is still likely to be fairly solid throughout at least the summer. So it may be at least a, more, a few more months before we get that as an indicator, which means that from a you know, when we look back a few years from now, it's unlikely we'll say a recession started in the first half of this year, despite potentially two negative GDP prints, because overall economic activity is still trending in the positive direction. Now, that doesn't mean a recession, you know, starting later this year or the next, let's say, 12 months, you know, isn't a possibility. You know, our official CI view is that it's close to toss up between that and a soft landing. Air more towards the saying that it's more likely that the economy will be able to avoid a recession uh, during the next you know, 12 months. Uh, but it's really, you know, it's, it's a you know, fine balancing act. What we're seeing right now is that, you know, well, you're, you're definitely slow down in goods consumption, and therefore the manufacturing activity is, is slowing down. It could even enter a recession. That's not a large part of the economy. The bulk of the economy is services spending, which has been holding up reasonably well. We think that can continue to hold up. Uh, household finances remain in very solid shape. The you know, balance sheets are strong. So there's a lot of 
sort of balance to support some of the headwinds that are taking place right now regarding high inflation and higher rates. You know, and the labor market is just very tight. You know, companies are reluctant to lay off workers. That would typically be necessary to get a recession. But at the same time, you know, leading indicators are showing a clear slowdown of economic activity. Uh, in Europe, it's even more so. Europe may be tipping into recession really this, this soon as this quarter. Um, and when your growth is quite low, you're really vulnerable to any kind of you know, shock. So it wouldn't take much to kind of tip the economy into recession. And ultimately, if inflation doesn't come down, you know, enough where the Fed can start to dial back its hiking expectations, sort of along the lines with the market is expecting in terms of hiking this year, then maybe pausing thereafter. If they keep having to hike because inflation is sticky, then the chance of recession certainly go up. And you know, we won't get a better idea of that until later this year. Now, as if the Fed policy meeting as well as that Q2 GDP print weren't enough for investors to digest, we will be continuing in full swing this week with Q2 reporting from companies. So, Jason, from what we've seen thus far, curious to hear about your reflections, your observations, including anything notable we've been hearing from corporate managements. Well, through Friday, we had about 24% of the S&P 500 market cap has reported. Uh, we're seeing sort of positive earnings growth. Uh, we're seeing earnings beat uh, on average by about 3.5%, uh, which is close to sort of the norm. You know, at least on a pre-pandemic period, you typically would get earnings beats of about 3%. And if you take out financials, it's been a little bit uh, better. Financials are skewed because on a year-over-year basis, um, earnings last year and the second quarter were very strong because they released kind of loan-loss provisions. Uh, so, you know, a, a decent quarter, sort of in line with kind of expectations by and large. Uh, the market reaction has been, at least for earnings beats, has been relatively muted, you know, close to zero. Usually it's a little more positive. Uh, as typical in an earnings season, there's a lot of idiosyncratic stories. We've seen some companies like, you know, Snap last week reported, you know, uh, you know, kind of worse than expected numbers, and they were down 24%. Um, so we're seeing definitely market reactions negative, you know, you're quite negative to some stories. But there's also, you know, a lot of idiosyncratic factors. If you kind of try and see sort of general themes or trends, what I'd say is this is a um, nothing that's come out of the earnings season thus far would be a catalyst to either reinforce the view of those who are on the bearer side saying earnings are going to have to be downgraded, uh, and we're seeing clear evidence of that. Uh, you know, kind of guidance is definitely moderating. You're starting to see an uptick in terms of more negative revisions and positive revisions. You know, that ratio is turning more, more kind of on the on kind of it's falling. Like there's more negative versus positive, which is sort of expected. We're expecting that to kind of happen as you know the economy slows and companies to kind of guide down. But it has been hasn't been so prevalent that it really reinforces thesis that earnings downgrades are absolutely going to happen and earnings outlook for next year, which some people are taking down is far too optimistic. That may happen, but the earnings season thus far hasn't been the case. On the flip side, you know, the numbers have been okay, but they also haven't been enough to sort of reaffirm the view that if you're on the bullish side, to say, you know, earnings numbers that are expected, those can be met, not only for the rest of this year, but to next year. It's far too soon to say that will happen. There's not enough to kind of indicate that, you know, the worst is over by any stretch. So ultimately, from a market driving perspective, the earnings season we've seen thus far, and nearly 25% is a pretty decent sample size. We can say this is not going to be a catalyst one way or another for the markets either to move clearly higher or lower in the time being. Uh, this is a huge week. It's the biggest week for earnings season. 47% of the market cap is reporting, including a lot of the big mega tech names uh, you know, like Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. Uh, so we'll get a better indication certainly in the tech space of how things are kind of playing out. You know, But if the past you know week and a half are in the indication – we're probably not going to have a, a clear inflection point this week in terms of the earnings outlook, which means from a market driving perspective, if you're waiting for sort of those earnings downgrades, if that's the next leg for this you know, potential bear market uh, or actual bear market, 
um, it's not likely to happen this rainy season. We may have to wait until the fourth quarter or later on for that to happen. So, Jason, as we begin to close out our conversation for today, maybe we can tie this all into asset allocation. So, again, there is a lot here to consider. A lot of unknowns lie ahead of us. Though, what is the chief investment office currently recommending with respect to how investors should consider an asset allocation in this environment? Well, let's first just take stock of what's happened recently. Uh, so last week was you know a positive week for for risk assets. And, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen kind of higher beta, more kind of risk on type of assets outperforming. So it's really been sort of a, a positive and market environment in you know, the past couple of weeks. Uh, we've seen the VIX index fall to its lowest level in two months. You know, Treasury volatility has kind of come down. Which you know, as you interpret this, you say, well, what exactly is driving this? Because the economic data hasn't necessarily been getting better. In fact, you could say arguably it's gotten worse. Is at the margin. Uh, position and sentiment are, are extremely bearish. So some of what I think what's driving this is more sort of technically driven. Things either got oversold, getting some sort of little bit of people coming in to sort of buy. Volumes and trading activity in the summer is low, so it doesn't take much to move the markets, you know, both in equities and in fixed income at this point in time. So I'd be cautious in interpreting, you know, the past week or two that you've seen, you know, you kind of more risk on kind of trading behavior to be an indication that, all right, we've hit bottom and things will get better. Uh, so this is coming down to, is this a turning point in the markets that we've seen the bottoms and we're going to move higher from here? Or is this a bear market rally? I think this is much more likely that we're seeing sort of a bear market rally. Uh, and there's there's certainly, you know, potentially more downside, at least, you know, choppiness in the near term. So a key point we've had for a while now is that the markets are likely to remain highly volatile, uh, you know, for the time being, as long as inflation remains in a, at an uncomfortably high level. Uh, and as long as the Fed is looking to you know, bring inflation down and be, to be aggressive, and this week shouldn't change that narrative, you're going to see markets end up being you know, quite choppy, uh, you know, for, at least for the coming months. So that hasn't changed overall. Uh, that said, a lot of negative news is already kind of priced into you know, the markets, both equities and other asset classes. Uh, and so to get another leg down to get that sort of final extension on the bear market that some people expect, we really do need to see a, a rapid or deterioration in economic activity and guidance from companies that earnings won't be met, and we're not really seeing that right now. So that may take a little more time for that texture to materialize, uh, which means markets kind of, you know, and, and the asset allocation guidance we have is that you want to sort of stay relatively you know, closer to kind of long-term benchmark, not make strong directional, you know, market calls one way or another. Uh, I think sort of staying up in quality, both in the equities and fixed income, you know, kind of makes sense at this point in time, given the uncertainty of, of recession risk. Uh, so those are the kind of the, some of the broad themes. Things that we still like is, you know, the value equities within, um, uh, you know, over growth at this point in time. Growth has done better over the past month or so, partly because interest rates have come down. You know, but if there is another, even if there's another leg down, value, because of its valuations are more attractive, still looks like it can hold up better. Value earnings are actually holding up better and we, as we get second quarter earnings season, so that's something we like. We've liked commodities. They've suffered over the past couple of months, you know, but the fundamentals in terms of supply and demand suggest they're still, you know, the price actually is still skewed to the upside, uh, given sort of the tight supply conditions where there's, you know, demand is still going to be growing. So we still think there's sort of some opportunities there, certainly as a portfolio hedge. And on the fixed income space, uh, we've seen recently credit spreads tighten up uh, a little bit. We think those have tightened up, you know, much more than the fundamentals would warrant. So I think a lot of people have been looking at the fixing them spaces. Now there's some opportunities. 
I'd be cautious in getting, you know, taking on too much risk at this point in time, especially after the spreads have tightened. You know, for example, high yield is back below 500, and it was over you know, 650 range, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we think the risk view there is much more to the upside. So be cautious on the credit space, uh, of given how much they've tightened just in the past couple of weeks. Kind of go up in quality. Now is the time to take a lot of risk especially after the past two weeks where we've seen a modest risk rally. Jason, a very productive conversation to begin what will be a very busy week in the markets. Thank you for joining us here on top of the morning to share with our listeners, our clients, the current thinking of the chief investment office as it relates to the market, the macro environment, as well as the guidance on asset allocation. So we'll be sure to keep in touch, though, Jason, thank you again for joining us this morning and taking the time. Appreciate it, as always. You're welcome, and have a good week. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 